Hey there, it's Liam. I edit the podcast. This is a trigger warning. This episode contains discussions of eating disorders and mental illness. Australia Explained, keeping you on top of all things down under. In this episode of Australia Explained, we break down eating disorders, what they are, how they affect Aussies and some of the common myths. everyone, my name is Tanya Ragusa. And I'm Vanessa Di Grazia. And welcome back to another episode of Australia Explained. We'd like to start by acknowledging that we're recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people and pay respects to elders past and present. Note the we, the plural we are both collective on Wurundjeri <laughs> land because we're back together. We're back together. <laughs> I'm so happy that you're back. I know that you, invo- you really enjoy your travels and you learnt so much, but... In terms of this podcast, <laughs> logistically, organisationally, it's so much easier. It does being make back it easier. Together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're back together, and we've got a really cool episode for you guys. So this episode, I talk with Hannah, who's from NED, which is a non-for-profit for eating disorders. I talk about it a bit in the interview, but basically, me and Hannah met completely by chance. Um, had a great conversation about eating disorders policy in Australia, all this sort of stuff. And we thought that now at the end of lockdown would be a great time to bring this episode to you guys. Yeah, we see this as a continuation of our mental health episode, particularly as eating disorders are so closely linked with other mental disorders. So in case you didn't know, people with an eating disorder are at an increased risk of psychological distress and other psychiatric disorders. So for example, around 80% of adults diagnosed with an eating disorder also have at least one more psychiatric disorder, um, including, but of course not limited to, things like major depressive disorder, anxiety, PTSD, and also substance misuse. So yeah, we think it is important to acknowledge that eating disorders are part of this mental health umbrella that are so, that is so closely focused on especially nowadays. And this is our part to raise awareness, the awareness that it so rightfully deserves as well. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, it's a specifically good time to revisit the topic as most states are heading out of lockdown, our routines are changing and so will our eating habits, you know, returning to cafes, pubs, bottomless brunches, if you're us, Um, (laughs) all the fun things that we typically enjoy. But on the other hand, this will present a really large challenge for a lot of people, um, especially since eating disorder hospital presentations in the public system increased from 25 to 50 from the beginning of the pandemic. Even this isn't a statistic, but um, my cousin is a psychologist and she says like through this pandemic, she's been presented with so many eating disorder yeah. cases across ages, gender. It's really blown up. Yeah. And I think coming out of lockdown as well, we've all come from hoodies and trackies and our bodies not really being seen in a public space to all of a sudden being thrown back into the world and we're having to dress up and worry about what we look like. And I know for me, I'm a lot more conscious of how I look like now, knowing that I'm going to be seeing people again. So these concerns are totally valid and things that we'll need to work through. And that's why we want to present this episode to you today. So basically for this episode, we're going to run through a bit of facts, information about eating disorders and the policies that come with it in Australia. And then we're going to top it off with our interview with Hannah, who is the expert on this, yes. seeing as she works yeah. for a non-for-profit for and eating it, disorders. It's a great, um, it's a great interview. Yeah. You did a really good job. So let's get into it. 
All right, as per usual, let's start simple. Vanessa, what is an eating disorder? All right, let's give the basic definition first. So the National Eating Disorder Collaboration defines it as disturbances in behaviours, thoughts and attitudes to food, eating and body weight or shape. So with that definition alone, we can see the clear link between mind and body and how these disturbances are often actually located in the brain first and they manifest through our bodies. Yeah, through the things that we do to our body. And discussions of eating disorders began in the West around the 1970s in a more clinical way. But these practices go way back to ancient times. I'm talking 15th century medieval society. But Often these practices of, I guess, purging or binging um, were often seen in the name of holiness and were known to purify people from sin. I say that in quotation marks. Um, so in, in a way, food deprivation or what we now know as anorexia nervosa was a spiritual process once upon a time and it isn't the form of anorexia nervosa that we see today necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very different connotations. Yeah. But bulimia, on the other hand, is considered more of a modern development. And there's a really interesting conversation to be had about bulimia because some argue that we can't really look at historical evidence as examples of bulimia because they are so culturally relevant to that specific time. Yeah. Whereas others say that these early purging practices gave rise to modern-day bulimia that we see now. So it's are these things connected? Can we put them into the same category? For example, the ancient Egyptian, Greek, Roman, Arab cultures, many cultures, etc., would purge food in order to prevent diseases. So whether this is enough to classify it as, you know, a pursuit for thinness is really hard to tell from the historical accounts. Yeah, and so we need to be careful when we look back at these historical accounts. Are they really the practices that we know today as anorexia or bulimia because they were sort of in different contexts. Mm And when doing this episode, a lot of the research looked at the fact that eating disorders are so culturally impacted and really um, revolve around the time and what was happening in that society. Which also presents an opportunity if they're so cultural. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. And what's actually really fascinating as well in doing this episode and writing this episode is looking at the history of eating disorders within the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, um, aka the DSM. This is basically the big book that doctors and psychiatrists use to diagnose illnesses. It's like one-stop shop, they've got symptoms, you look them up in the DSM and you diagnose from there. And eating disorders first appeared in the DSM in 1952, but they were categorised with other gastrointestinal conditions. So things like such as ulcers or gastritis. Um, So in this sense, eating disorders were only considered a bit of like a stomach problem as a result of other emotional factors. So it was never... um, a medical condition itself. It was like a sideline. It was like an outcome of Mm -hmm. something else. It was like an underlying factor. But it wasn't until 1994 that eating disorders became their own category within the DSM and that's when the conversation started to change. Okay, so we're doing this episode on eating disorders, specifically in an Australian context. So let's look at some of the statistics. Yeah, of course. So one million people at any one time have an eating disorder within Australia, and that's around 4% of our population at any one time. However, those are just the formerly 
diagnosed cases, many more people have experienced some form of behavior that is consistent with disordered eating. So things like restrictive dieting, um, excessive use of laxatives, binging or vomiting, all these things um, contribute to this umbrella of disordered eating habits. And approximately 31% of Australian adolescents have participated in one of those actions in any given year. That's a really big portion. Isn't it? That's one third. And honestly, I can think of times where perhaps my mind slipped towards that or people Mm -hmm. that I knew slipped towards that. So it is more common than we think. And some of the behaviours that we might consider normal actually actually give way to these sort of more serious disordered habits. Mm. Something I found really interesting that within Australia, binge eating disorder is actually the most common Mm -hmm. eating disorder and it accounts for 47% of diagnoses. And since the late 1990s, weekly binge eating episodes have increased by six. To continue on, so binge eating is the most common disorder, but anorexia is the most dangerous. It's actually, out of all mental illnesses, has the highest mortality rate. Yeah. More than depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, BPD or anything. And you can you can see why, because it's so closely linked with other morbidities and illnesses and I guess the way we nourish our body mm-hmm. give way, gives way to so many other, I guess, bodily reactions and, and processes and things like that. Absolutely. And, you know, you said that since the late 1990s, binge eating has sort of skyrocketed. And when I think of the 1990s era, the first thing that comes to mind is the rise of the supermodel, in quotation marks. Um, And I particularly think of the likes of Naomi Campbell and Kate Moss, who were so idolised for their slim appearances. And, in fact, in a very infamous 2009 interview, Kate Moss stated, nothing tastes better as good as skinny feels. So, Which impacted generations generation Upon generations. So you can see um, it's hard to ignore that quote and the impact of that. Yeah, well, it's hard to overlook the impact that the fashion industry and model culture in general has yeah. had on body image um, in that way in the 1990s and today with influencer culture. Mm. Um, for example, Twiggy, who's a famous model, if you guys don't know her, give a quick Google, you'll probably recognise her, um, was literally given her nickname for looking like a twig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like she weighed 41 kilos when she rose to fame in the 60s and 41 kilos for most heights is not a healthy weight. Absolutely not. And... Even the rise of adult porn in the 70s has had a lasting impact on eating disorders. Studies from Ohio State University show that a partner's pornography viewing habits can affect how the women in those relationships will experience guilt about eating and, I guess, their their own perceptions of their body. And this often leads into disordered eating habits such as binging, purging or compulsive overeating. So I think it's really interesting to see how this thing flows through time and how different, I guess, eras in time have had their own unique impact upon body image of the perceptions of self. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. And while you're on the topic of sex, it's important to break down um, the statistics here. Speaking in heteronormative terms, around two-thirds of eating disorder diagnoses are female-identifying, and there is a long history of female illness not being taken seriously. You know, we're thinking period pain. (laughs) What people say is period pain, but it's actually endometriosis, which is one of the most painful diseases that you can have. Absolutely. Um, 
We've all heard countless stories of friends, family, colleagues having their pain belittled or treated as a minor issue. So this is part of this larger trend called pain bias, where women with illnesses are not taken as seriously or treated the same as men. And just thinking it, anorexia is actually the most dangerous mental disorder, um, but it's often thought of as like something for women or yeah. young girls and it's not taken seriously, yeah. which just shows like it's so much gravity to it. It's so, the mortality rate is so high. Considering how dangerous it is and can be. Um, And studies from countries within the European Union found that women are less likely to be treated as urgent cases in the emergency department. They're also less likely to be given opioid painkillers and often wait longer than men to be (laughs) treated. So there is, I guess, this sort of idea of not not maybe consciously belittling women's illness, but maybe not taking it as seriously. And eating disorders often fall in part of that group. Um, as you said, you know, it, it's seen as just um, something that teenagers do to, to seek attention or um, or it's a problem for the affluent white girl who is being pressured by her family to look thin. You know, all those common myths that we need to continue to, to dismantle to make sure that we are taking it seriously and that these people are receiving the appropriate treatment. Mm. And me and Hannah talk about this exactly in the interview, um, which you guys will hear later. Yeah. But to say that eating disorders are a female-only issue would be completely wrong because um, that leaves a whole third of cases that are male-identifying, which is around 330,000 men in Australia. That's a lot of individual lives being impacted by this disease. Yeah. And for males, body dissatisfaction is actually a growing cause for concern um, because it arises from this idea of a muscular, lean physique rather than a lower body weight. So it's a different form, but it's still just as dangerous. Yeah, and it's not very hard to see how these ideas could manifest in Australia, particularly where gym culture and living that healthy lifestyle is so prevalent and it's growing each day. Particularly male athletes have an increased vulnerability to eating disorders, um, usually in those sports with a greater emphasis on weight, such as weightlifters, wrestlers, gymnasts, dancers, even jockeys, because they have to be under a certain weight. Um, And of course, bodybuilders in that sort of gym culture. Mm -hmm. And obsessions over muscle mass can turn into eating disorders and result in really distorted perceptions about bulking, eating and exercise patterns. So it's worth noting here that eating disorders are not only for super, super thin young girls. It's really across so many different kinds of people. And it manifests in different way. It could even just be our thoughts towards food or, you know, excessive calorie counting or being really concerned about what's entering our body. Of course, there's some level of concern that we should all, you know, adopt in order to live a healthy lifestyle, Mm -hmm. but to the point where it's that really, I don't know, I just think of that intense TikTok gym talk culture Mm -hmm. where it's like, here are the healthy recipes to help you lose weight and and things like that. It's those stereotypes that we need to maybe disembark. Yeah. When you become at the mercy of of your food. Yeah. That's the difference. For the next half of this episode, we'll let you listen to Vanessa's discussion with Hannah in full. We were going to edit bits and pieces, but I actually really enjoyed listening to this full conversation, and I think you would all too. Vanessa's Vanessa and Hannah's discussion is so insightful when they, they touch on a range of topics, um, everything from diet culture, eating disorder myths, and the history of it all. Um, so we hope you take something out of it. Let's get into it. Hello. 
Hello, so I'm in the Gold Coast today with Hannah, who actually runs her own podcast called A New Education Component. I actually, Hannah, do you want to tell a story about how we met? Yes, oh my God, I'd love to. So I work for a foundation called End Ed, and what that stands for is End Eating Disorders. And we have a beautiful establishment called House of Hope with End Ed, which is a place where community can come together and experience groups where we just mesh together and explore different modalities and it's just connecting on relatability and we also have the end ed espresso cafe and so that is a one of our modalities to fundraise profits to be able to bring in more eating disorder recovery coaches. And so I work in that cafe two days a week, supporting the community that walk in and building awareness. And Vanessa, you just (laughs) happen to wander into this cafe. And as you guys know, I'm from Melbourne, but I'm traveling Australia at the moment. And I was just getting a coffee in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant and so divine. And you and your girlfriend walked in and sat down and I made you the best coffees in Australia. (laughs) They were pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just boasting. Um, But I asked you both, oh, do you realize you walked into um, a cafe that is actually a foundation? And I was able to share our story with you both. And it was an incredible conversation. It was absolutely an incredible conversation with you. And just to even learn about your own journey of traveling from Melbourne and having your own podcast on the road. That was so inspiring to me. And I think just from that conversation, like that just sparked inspiration in the both of us. So yeah, I think that's how we ended up here today. Yeah, for sure. We totally realized that we were both interested in educating others and creating productive learning. So we Mm. basically had to do a podcast together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And meeting Hannah inspired us to do this episode about eating disorders because we have, we've done a mental health episode before, but we hadn't touched on this specifically. And this is something that's touched in my life with friends and family before. And it's actually actually a space that a lot of people don't understand a lot about. So today we're going to chat about it. We're going to get Hannah to break down some of the common misconceptions and just basically get you around the issue so you feel a little bit more comfortable talking about it and understanding it in general. Yeah, and building the conversation around eating disorders is what helps break the shame around the behaviours, thoughts, and habitual patterns of eating disorders and the more shame we break the more the the mental illness breaks which is exactly why we need it and why I'm so excited that you wanted to do an episode on eating disorders thank you so much Vanessa (laughs) well of course Australia Explained is all about education Mm -hmm. as the key so let's get into it I'll start with my first question we'll go basic what exactly is an eating disorder because I'm aware that there's a umbrella it's an umbrella term and there's a couple different disorders that fall into it but maybe you could just give a bit of an explanation for me and for the listeners about what counts as an eating disorder 
So there's actually multiple different layers of the eating disorder umbrella now, and it has grown over the last couple of years, as you can imagine, as our society has grown and we've been trying to move through all of that. But the the main three that fall under the umbrella of eating disorders are anorexia nervosa, binge eating disorder, and bulimia nervosa. Those are the main three. Then following on from that in, say, the next year, we've got ARFID, which is um, it's all about you're only eating specific food groups, and that can be very much linked to autism and as well as um, sensory, sensory development. So, for example, you um, a child, say, might not want to touch any fruits at all because of sensory awareness and moving through that sensory disorder. So then we've got the... The other other component of it is there is actually now under the umbrella of eating disorders is where you are extremely focused on health and it's to the point where you are so locked into all of the superfoods and you don't have food freedom around all of the food in your environment. It is very much... Um, based on an obsessed behavior or obsessed thoughts about trying to only eat again the healthiest food so just like a specific food group Um, and it can feel really jarring and really stressful if if you're around other foods so for me, I like to look at disordered eating in, in the aspect if, if you don't feel fully free to be around all foods or to have all foods in your environment, it doesn't mean you have to choose them or eat them or anything like that. But if you're experiencing stress from your thoughts around food or thoughts around your body, then that can be the beginning questions where you can ask yourself, is this impacting my life if I'm receiving stress around my thoughts of food or body image and and where can I go to or what can I do to start to relieve that stress and actually just develop a freedom within myself because that's that's the whole aim is to just feel fully free in your body and and in the environment of food because it's not like alcohol, it's not like drugs. You can't just avoid it. You can't just not have it in your house. You have to eat. You have to eat as a part of our human culture. Food is everywhere and unfortunately it is the one thing that we can't quite easily step away from. Um, say like an alcoholic or cigarettes or drug addict. Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like eating disorders can come in so many different forms, but Mm -hmm. at its core, it's the obsession with food that's the problem. Because I think a lot of people would have an idea of an eating disorder as someone who's 
overly thin mm-hmm. and that alone where really that's not the case, right? That is 100% correct. There are actually nine myths and to those nine myths are the nine truths. And one of those myths is that they need to be extremely thin. Mm-hmm. And that is just so far from the truth. Like somebody with disordered eating or an eating disorder, they can be any shape, any size, any color, any age, um, any background, any heritage, any culture. And we are seeing that more and more and more and more and more and more and more weekly. And so that's like one of the biggest myths that we're trying to break and just bring awareness to the truth of eating disorders. So there is that myth that it is like a young girl disease and, you know, Mm. young skinny girls that have nothing better to worry about, which is I mean, a very damaging, horrible saying, but it is a prevalent one. Is there a section of people that experience this more? Is it really dispersed? It's actually incredibly dispersed. So from the phone calls with the foundation that we receive every day, and we receive multiple phone calls from new families, new people every single day, it actually arranges from seven-year-olds, boys or girls, Mm -hmm. all the way to 60, 70-year-olds, men or women. And so just looking at that alone, that takes away that, that predominant teenage girl facet. It is, it is actually so prevalent throughout our society and so dispersed throughout our society, no matter the age or gender or ethnicity, that it actually, so what that stigma can do it can stop those people that fall outside of the stigma from reaching out for help. And that's, it's just so important to break that so that they can feel like, like imagine if you don't fall into the category of you're not thin enough to be considered an eating disorder, but they're going through such mental and physical stress with disordered eating that they don't feel like they can reach out for help because they don't fall into Mm -hmm. that category. Like, that that is just a a massive wall that we need to break down so that everybody can feel comfortable in reaching out for help. Yeah, that's the danger of the stereotype mm. for sure. Especially um when it comes to men and women, I would assume, correct me if I'm wrong, that maybe men don't reach out for help as much because it's not seen as a disease that men endure when they clearly do. Yeah, absolutely. So one of my main goals, just working with the foundation, and I pretty much did it as soon as I started, is I was like, right, I'm going to find a man with lived experience to be in the space of the cafe to hold support for the men that walk in who may be living with that experience. And that was exactly what I did. And now more and more as I am supporting community, men are reaching out and coming forward and they're sharing their stories. I just sent a message to another beautiful man today who is, um, we're going to connect and he's going to share his story. So it's, it is actually so prevalent in mostly in the spaces for men, bodybuilding, gym, um, sports, like where they have to control what their physique looks like and and in turn control what they're eating, right? Because you all hear about when they're trying to do the gym gains, they've got to eat all of the protein and all of the carbs and they can't eat anything else. Like it's that, that sort of control and then the obsession to what their body is looking like, especially in the bodybuilding world, that 
is developing disordered eating. And because this is Australia explained, I always have a tendency to relate it back to Australia. But I was thinking before today about how an Australian beauty standard is very much about being fit, especially in recent years. You know, this trend towards health and wellness and all these sorts of things can often cover up an eating disorder and an obsession with, you know, excessive macro calorie counting and all that sort of thing. And do you think it's potentially more dangerous in this space because there's friends and family that might be reinforcing it as a good thing? You know, you, you're working out heaps and you're watching what you eat and people say, oh, you look great, blah, blah, blah. But really the mental struggle is still happening just as strong as if, you know, you were an obvious binge eater or obviously mm-hmm. with anorexia nervosa. Yeah, or bulimia, mm-hmm. because that's my lived experience is bulimia. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, I was as fit as anything. Um, but the internal was like, it was like living in hell. So my physique on the outside was strong, mm-hmm. really strong. And did you feel complimented by other people? And did that reinforce what you were doing, even though obviously it shouldn't? To be honest, the compliments kind of... Um, washed off my back it's like I almost couldn't absorb them and that is very much a part of an eating disorder Mm -hmm. because you have your own perception of your body and in your mind it is not good enough Mm -hmm. not ever it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what you do and so compliments kind of in another phrase went in one ear and out the other for a very long time. And so you're absolutely right. Our, with Australia, there is such a beauty perception of fit and healthy is incredible. And it is complimented. It is so complimented and it can reinforce those behaviors of just keep going, just keep going. But if a woman has a woman or a man push their bodies to such extremes, but not necessarily eating enough. So say anorexia, so they're over-exercising and not eating enough, or they're binge eating. So they're like overeating and their digestion is trying to cope with that level of food and, and emotions because it's like you're not only eating food, but you're also suppressing the emotional storm inside of you that can create disease and chaos in the body. But also with bulimia, when you're binge eating and then throwing it up afterwards, your body is breaking down on the internal and that is weakening your bones. It's weakening your mental health, your emotional regulation. And so it can create, like, I know people who have fractured hips from, you know, focusing on health so severely in on the exercise and the, you know, super healthy eating. And so that's what, yes, you're right. This is, um, our society, unfortunately, has perpetrated with their their really strong um desires of that image and it's not allowed for the rest and it's not allowed for the space to be comfortable in rest right because otherwise we could potentially be called lazy Mm -hmm. um or we could potentially get fat or like these lines which most of us in australia and in society have heard 
and it's breaking down that language, is no longer using that language, is creating a language that is accepting of all ways of living and being and a wholeness, a whole picture is so important or rather than this driven picture that doesn't allow for the rest or doesn't allow for the laziness, which laziness in itself is, it's actually something so needed. It's actually something so needed. It's how our body and minds and emotions recover. It's rest. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's rest. It's nothing time. It's, yeah, so... Absolutely. You're right on the mark there. Yeah. uh, You mentioned drive, how this is Mm. often attached to this idea that we always need to be driving to push forward, be better, et cetera. And I was looking into the history of eating disorders um, and it seems to be a fairly new phenomenon. Like it existed, I could see like some remnants in the middle ages, um, but it was more like a spiritual religious fasting thing, it seems. So I just wonder this might be more opinionative rather than scientific, but why do you think that it's so prevalent now and it wasn't in the past? Mm, it is a really good question. I love how you interwove, you know, the spiritual fasting aspect of it. Um, so I think that based on society's development over the last um, few hundred years, it went from a, and this is all opinion based, and I want to say that, but um, it did go from probably a more like if we look at the tribes and how they lived, they were very much in connection with earth, connection with the animals, and you know if an animal or the tribes, if if you get sick, you actually fast so that your body can heal. And so the digestion isn't taking the body's energy from healing. And that is a natural occurrence. Like you look at every single animal on on the planet and if it gets sick, it just rests, completely stops, rests and sleeps and fasts. And as soon as it has strength again, it goes out and it hunts or it finds food and it starts eating again. What was lost through that is I think where the patriarchy came in and and it's where there was again that that drive to build build more do more um control more the control is a massive thing in that and especially controlling um the minorities right so controlling different races controlling different genders And one of the ways that control seeped in from the patriarchy was the beauty myths. And that's how the minority of of women were controlled. It was this beauty standard, especially when porn came out and all of that has just gotten worse and worse and worse to that's what they like. And, And I feel like as a race, we, we feel like we have to please others right? Rather than actually check in with ourselves. And so I think from that space of feeling like we have to please our other people, um, that's where we feel like we have to control everything we do so that we're making others happy rather than checking in with ourselves and being like, wait, does my body enjoy that? 
Um, is this natural for my body? Do I feel rested? Do I feel stable? Yeah, I believe it's, it's come from that, that patriarchy control system and, it, and it's just become more prevalent as the beauty standards and images and have really developed throughout our society and they keep going as a turmoil and and you know it's not just the patriarchy that controls that now it's it's also the women that control that as well and the matriarchy that control that as well um living up to those standards yeah it's going to take a whole nation to break it very eloquent answer (laughs) we like opinions every now and then in the podcast um but going into a more factual space let's talk a little bit about policy so when we met you were telling me that you had recently been to canberra Mm. to talk about um funding Mm. and if you wanted to number one maybe tell the listeners a little bit about that Mm. and number two i just want to hear because our mental health episode that we did last time was about a lot about funding and how that's changed through COVID and how um, they've allocated extra funding to mental health and is this really enough? Is it going to make a difference? Um, and in what direction it's heading? So we've spoken a little bit about this, but if you think that the efforts being made by the government are going in the right direction and if you think that they're enough, uh, if you could wave your magic wand, <laughs> where would you, what would you be doing? Oh, this is a great question. And um, I actually got to hear a lot about the mental health whilst in parliament as well. So I really resonate with that. Um, so the reason I flew to Canberra was because an incredible organization called Woven Threads that creates documentary series on social issues. So they're animated videos Um from interviewing certain people to raise awareness on social issues. So their first series they did on refugees, their second series is on mental illness. So they reached out to Endead Foundation and asked to do a story on eating disorders and then they listened to three of us. We shared our stories and then they asked me to to be interviewed and to have that created as an animated clip um to be able to preview on tv and also preview in parliament and so that that the very first time that animated clip was previewed was on world eating disorder day in canberra parliament house and along with the beautiful indigenous animated clip which was also part of reconciliation week so it was really powerful it was incredibly powerful and in that room so they were able to book the space and they were able to get around 40 politicians and ministers and senators in that space where they then delivered speeches around the importance of mental health eating disorders and gathering that funding And from that space, we then had the Minister of Mental Health fly to the Sunshine Coast to House of Hope, so part of Ended, and we spoke and we shared bits and pieces. So a few of us, including myself, shared our stories and why it was important to keep the funding going in the eating disorder space and how necessary it is because at this 
place in time, and this is me quoting Andrew Wallace, that there is um, approximately around 1 million Australians with disordered eating. Now, that number is a lot higher than we have the capacity for right now. We need a lot more eating disorder recovery coaches. We need a lot more support, but also we need a we need eating disorder live-in facilities because anorexia nervosa is the, has the highest mortality rate out of every single mental illness. Wow. Yes. I didn't yes. know that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Even higher than suicide. Mm. Yeah. Um, so he came to House of Hope. And so we, we are putting, we put in um, to receive more funding towards getting more support for eating disorders. And not only that, we then went to the opening of the very first Australia's live-in eating disorder facility, which is also based on the Sunshine Coast called Wandi Narita. And Mark and Gail from the Undead Foundation, they're the founders of it. They were the ones that flew to Canberra, I think it was about two years ago, and said, this is what we need. And so, yes, my question is, yes, I think the government is making big strides because they were the ones that funded the first live-in eating disorder facility. But not only that, they have given us funding to open one in every single state in Australia. Wow, that's good. Yes, and to really give an image of how needed it is, only 13 individuals can be taken into Wandi Narita at a given time. And there were well over, I think there was almost 400 responses to trying to get a position in Wandi Narita. So... It's like, yes, we need those all open right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, it's very right in now. demand. Yes, yes. Is this um, something that's agreed across party lines? I don't know if you would know the answer. Because obviously this is like the Liberal federal government mm. funding this. Yes. But is this also supported by other parties? So from what I witnessed in Canberra, there is a, a team of three, Andrew Wallace, um, Deb O'Neill, and Rachel, oh, I can't quite remember her last name, but so Andrew Wallace is Liberal, Deb is Labor, mm-hmm. and they're all part of the same team. Okay, so it's like an alliance team. Yes, that's so, yeah, exactly, that's great. For mental health, mm-hmm. and they're covering all mental health. Um, Andrew Wallace backs eating disorders greatly, um, so he's been a huge advocate for us, which is fantastic. But, yeah, so, yes, I do believe the government are – really supporting us and my answer might change if they say no to our extra funding. But, <laughs> but, but now they're in the good books. <laughs> now they're in the good books. So now we're just currently waiting because we're hoping to bring on six more eating disorder recovery coaches with the foundation, which would just help support a lot more people in Australia. 
So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, it answers it perfectly. Um, I think we've had a nice little chat today. I feel like I've learned a lot that I didn't know about eating disorders and hopefully the listeners have too because now I feel like I understand the basics of what they are and how they're seen in the government space because it's just not something that I hear about very often but it's clearly you know one million Australians living with disordered eating it's something that's happening around us all the time Mm -hmm. even if we don't see it um I just wanted to see if there was anything else that you wanted to add and to tell the listeners that we've missed out on so far So the only thing I would add is how you can get support. And if you are experiencing stress internally around food control or around body image, any sort of shaming or anything like that, or you're really struggling in a space with your body and with food, please reach out. So you can reach out to the website, Ended. There is also a phone number on there. And we'll include all of these links in the show notes, of course. Mm. And there, we're also on socials. We know no matter what stage you're in, no matter what stage you're in, we know where the help is located in each state. And so we can support you through that journey in getting somebody really close to you in wherever location you are. And we are there to, to really direct you to what is going to bring so much more ease to your life. And it's extended to say somebody may have a loved one who mm-hmm. they think may be going through this, or maybe someone's listening that isn't really sure if they are going through this but wants more information are they open to contact NDED as well absolutely always yeah even if you're just wanting information even if you're media wanting to put more awareness out there we I speak to friends I speak to parents I speak to you know the whole community absolutely get in contact Mm -hmm. yeah Awesome. Okay, this has been a really great chat. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me, Vanessa, and starting this conversation. It's really important. All right, so that was Vanessa's discussion with Hannah. Vanessa, I'll ask you, um, what did you take from that interview? Did you have any lasting impressions or thoughts? Yeah, I was really interested by all of it. As you guys just heard, it's really fascinating. But something that particularly surprised me is like the lack of um, government money and thoughts that have been put through this. Mm. Like to find out that NDD is the first, um, opened the first ever eating disorder facility in the country is crazy. Like I didn't know that they, that, that didn't even exist. Yeah. Um, so it's great to hear that people like Hannah and organizations like NDD are particularly working, um, to fight against that and make it, uh, make them create more resources and facilities for people with eating disorders. Yeah, that's the thing. And I think what I took from that conversation is that I'm probably unaware of how I could help someone or if I knew someone who had an eating disorder, what would be my point of call? Where would I refer them to? How would I even help them? Because firstly, those conversations are quite sensitive. Mm -hmm. So how do you bring up that topic of conversation that you want to help them? But also where do you go? Um, Is there funding available? What kind of support and resources are available? Not only immediately, but also in the long term. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we need to shift to making this a more sustainable process for for people who are suffering from eating disorders I think it was such an insightful conversation I listened to it all and you were like oh you sure you don't want to edit some parts out I was like absolutely (laughs) not I I enjoyed the whole conversation and everywhere that it went so uh, we hope it raises some ideas within you all too
Okay, I'll let you start. What's your recommendation for us today, Tan? Well, going on what we just t- what we just discussed before, I think definitely look into some of um, the organisations and that social enterprise side of things within your area as well. Um, NDED is located in Queensland, but there are so many other organisations locally um, in whatever state that you're in. Um, we're in Victoria, so there's Eating Disorders Victoria. Um, that can really educate you on the topic. Even just visiting their websites, there's so many, there's so much information and facts and resources that you can look upon to help educate yourself on the issue. So that would be my recommendation. Yeah, you may, you don't know when you might need that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. What is yours? Um, mine is a podcast I've loved for a really long time, which many listeners might have heard because it's definitely super popular and not niche. I'm not special. Um, it's I <laughs> Way by Jamila Jamil. Um, she's a body positivity activist, um, really like active on social media and her podcast, she just gets on amazing men and women and they talk about their lives. They talk about what they're worth. And I love at the end of every podcast, she asks them, what do you weigh? And they say things like love, my family, this, that, so and not a number. So that matter. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's a nice concept. Yeah. You know? And it, it takes the conversation away from weight and placing value on weight exactly. and image and rather placing value on other important things in our yeah. life. So, so it's nice. That. Yeah. Beautiful. We'll leave, um, all the links to those recommendations in our show notes as per usual. But that is it from us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to this bit of a different episode, but we hope it it maybe increased what you knew about this topic and might also help you help others. Yes, we love doing interviews and we would love to do more. So if anyone knows anybody or thinks that they're interesting enough to be interviewed, (laughs) reach out because we love talking to new people. Yeah, and it it expands our knowledge whilst expanding everyone else's knowledge as well. Exactly. We love that. (laughs) Um, And let us know what you think as per usual. We're always interested to hear your thoughts. In the meantime, follow us for more short, sweet and simple Aussie content on Instagram at Australia Explain Pod. Follow, like, subscribe, comment, all of leave the Leave a verbs. rating, <laughs> leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Do it all, every single one <laughs> right now. Absolutely, we'd appreciate that. And we will see you in two weeks' time. Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>